You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson, to talk about Carolina's loss at NC State. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina Apparel, they have everything that you could possibly want. The T-Shirts, the jerseys, the hats, you name it, they probably will have it. It's great people and great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. And don't forget, Inside Carolina, premium subscribers get 10% off their orders. All right, as always, it's Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. Guys, Carolina loses at NC State 34 to 30 in a game that the Tar Heels led by nine with just over two minutes to go. It's a brutal loss. No other way around it. EJ, starting with you, what were your biggest takeaways? Uh, number one takeaway, and this is like a thought that I had instantly uh, when this happened. Uh, we don't know how to handle success. And I mean, it was an instant turnaround. I mean, you think about the play before the 64-yard touchdown play, which was uh, one of two scores within 22 seconds or 20, whatever seconds. It's way too close. Um, we, we, I think we got a penalty or something. I, I forget what happened, but either way, you can see the guys celebrating and jumping around. And all of a sudden, we blow a coverage, 64-yard touchdown. Uh, on sack, kick. it was a sack. Though Havoc got himself a sack. Yeah. Him and Des Evans ran a ran a et. Yeah. yeah. Though Havoc freaking dropped dropped that kid Finley or whatever mm-hmm. the quarterback is that his name Finley the quarterback Leary 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 Leary, Leary. 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 yeah yeah so, yeah. so next so, play is a touchdown blown coverage. That, that happens, and so we, we instantly can't handle successes. Like, we don't know. We haven't been in a position, honestly, defensively. We haven't played a game that well up to that point, honestly, probably in the Mac, in the Mac uh, Brown regime. Uh, and uh, you guys can check the stats, but honestly, that, that, that was a very solid performance. I mean, I'm very happy with what we did. We played 57 and a half minutes of great defensive football. Mm-hmm. Um, my next takeaway um, – I don't think that we can we, – we don't rise to the big moments um, as, a, as, as a whole. I mean, I, I thought for a moment there we were, like I, as I mentioned, for 57 and a half minutes, we looked like we were going to go in and finally put, put, put a game together, beat a very quality team, beat a team that's known for their physicality, for their discipline, and go in into the air and, and break a, a team that hadn't lost a game at home this season. They had a – this made, what, a 10-game win streak at home? Uh, we, we just didn't rise to the occasion. We, we we almost did, and then we just kind of faltered along the way, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Uh, so that's my second biggest takeaway. Um, my third biggest takeaway is that I, I think this kind of summarizes the whole season. It was kind of a, a expedition or exercise in futility. It's like we 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 go out and we constantly underachieve. We can't say that 
teams are more talented than us anymore. We can't say the teams are better coached than us anymore. We have a Hall of Fame coach coaching us. We have four and five or star our rosters loaded with four and five star recruits. We have guys that could have been playing and playing in the game. We're just talking about the game that's going on right now, the Alabama Arbor game. Mm-hmm. Guys could have been playing in that game. Like we have talent on our roster, so there's no more excuses. We need to rise to the occasion. So um, overall, I, I honestly, I mean, and I thought I really, as this game was going on, I was thinking I actually get to go into this podcast tomorrow. And when we get to say something nice, I'll have four or five, six things to say. And I mean, I still have some positives to say, don't get me wrong, but just as, as an alumni, as a former player, as a fan, as somebody who's been rooting for this team and wanted to see the type of defensive performance that I, uh, as I mentioned, that we saw for 57 and a half minutes, this one hurts it differently. And I kind of, I, I take this loss personally as if I was out there playing. So, I mean, um, I'll try to be as positive as I can tonight, guys, but this one kind of hurt. Yeah, up until that last two and a half minutes, uh, I made a remark on Twitter where it was like, this defense deserves all the credit in the world for their performance Mm -hmm. today and for how they kept Carolina in the game. At one point, it was 30 to 21, and seven of those points came off a a blocked field goal where Mm -hmm. NC, I mean, a blocked punt where NC State returned it for a touchdown. So, I was I was right there with you, EJ. I was I was looking forward to talking about nothing but uh, how great the Carolina defense was and how they really put it together towards the end of the season. But a, a few plays go against Carolina, and uh, you you wind up with the result we had yesterday. But Mike, what were some of your biggest takeaways from this game? I have heard theoretically, meaning I've heard of I've heard of that scenario playing out. In theory, we've all heard it like the end of the game. So you get into, you know, if you're six to four minutes, you know, you're running, you get into your four minute offense. And I was explaining this to my wife or watching the game and I'll get to a comment she made that I think is right, right in line with what EJ was just talking about in a second. When I'm explaining to my wife, like, I think we're at like six and a half minutes. I was like, all right, we're in, we're basically in four minute offense. We had the lead. We're in four minute offense. We need to come away with this with at least three points. If we get at least three points, this game's over. Um, we need two first downs, um, hopefully three points if there's enough time left on the clock. But either way, after two first downs, we can probably run the clock out. Give NC State credit. They used their timeouts expeditiously. They understood what they were doing. When we, had, when we lined up to kick that field goal, I think we had you know, about three minutes, just under three minutes to go. And I remember looking at my wife at one point. We had, I think it was third down, and there was 3.05 left on the clock. And I looked at her, I said, there's, three, there's still three minutes in this game. Like, I was, just, I was just watching the game. I stopped watching the clock because once, once we got that second – First down, I figured, all right, we're just going to run the play clock down and this game's going to be over. Maybe they'll get a minute left, but, you know, this game's going to be over. And there was still three minutes on the clock. And that's when I got a little uneasy. I was like, okay, well, you know, let's, let's line up and, and, and kick this field goal. You know, don't go chasing points. Do not, don't do nothing stupid. Grayson Atkins kicks the, you know, the kick of his life. From that point forward, I have heard of the next series of events taking place in theory. I've never actually seen it. Like I've, I've seen a lot of football. I've watched a lot of football as a fan. I've played a lot of football as a player. I, EJ, I think can say the same thing. I have literally never seen the scenario where you have to score twice and in the middle, recover an onside kick to win the game. And it happens. 
That maybe, last two minutes was Thursday practice, Mike. That's what it was. It's Thursday practice. Quite where literally. Every, where, 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 where it's a complete mental day and you're going through two minutes, you're going through onside Absolutely. kick, you're doing all those special situations on offense and defense. That's that's exactly what, what those last two minutes were. So it's like it's drilled. It, it was drilled into us so much that we know what's going to happen, but we never thought that we'd actually – see that, that situation play out. And you know these and you know these kids are being coached the same way. They're being taught the same thing on their Thursday practice or you know or this mm-hmm. week, you know, your Wednesday practice. So the point being, again, I've heard of score twice, recover an onside kick in between win the game theoretically in the abstract, but it just doesn't really happen in real life. I've never seen this isn't me being doom and gloom. I'll have a lot of good things to say too when we get done with this. We ran the we ran the hell out of the football. British Brooks looks like the player I've been saying he was for two years. We finally gave that kid a shot, and he, he snapped off one heck of a game. Okay, And the offensive line in the run game did a really good job in the run game. So I'm going to have some good things to say here. But I have never seen a meltdown like I saw against State at Carter-Finley in this game. I've, I've never seen that before. That's, that's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two is what EJ said. I'm just going to reiterate this. Here's a story about my wife. We kicked that field goal. Grayson Atkins nails that 50-yard field goal. It was beautiful right down the middle. I mean, it couldn't have been a better kick. We then get a sideline warning because everybody's out on the field celebrating like we just won a national championship. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, act like you've been there before. Mm-hmm. Like, you got two and a half minutes. This game isn't over. Two minutes and 13 seconds or whatever it was. This game's not over. Like, get on the sideline, go finish the game, and then you can celebrate. Because there is a scenario, it theoretically, where you can still lose this football game. No one ever thinks it's going to happen, like, obviously. 451 other teams, according to ESPN Stats and Info. We, we shared this in the Slack channel, our little, you know, our Inside Carolina work channel, but this tweet went out from ESPN Stats and Info. Uh, the record of teams in the exact same situation as NC State this season, down two scores with, with, with less than two minutes and 30 seconds to go, on the season, across the country, 0 and 451. That's 451, 451. That's a big number. It's now one in 451, and we were the reason for that one. My wife says, you guys don't know how to handle success. Like, what are you guys celebrating for? The littlest thing happens, and you're out there. She says, and I've been watching this with you all season, and they do it all season. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a little pass breakup and everybody's celebrating like you won the Super Bowl. You know, you, these mediocre teams, you know, you beat these mediocre teams or something good happens in one of these games against a bad team and you guys are running around, you know, going crazy. Like, what is that? She's like, only like bad teams do that. Like, my wife says that. My wife was a soccer player. Okay. And she's exactly right. Bad teams lose their composure when it's nut cutting time. Bad teams get 15-yard penalties. Bad teams celebrate when there's still two and a half minutes to go and they haven't actually won the game, but they think they have. Bad teams take their foot off the gas. That's what bad teams do. And it's, it's ungodly frustrating as a fan, but also as an alumni, as a letterman. And I know EJ shares this frustration. Vip, I know you share this frustration. It is ungodly frustrating to see that and to have to now at the end of the season say, you know what, guys, we, we do a lot of bad team things. I don't know that we are a bad team, but we do a lot of bad team things, things that are characteristic of bad teams. And it doesn't make any sense because we got guys that got 40 snaps under their belt that are out there on that field. 
We got four and five star recruits that are super talented that know what they're supposed to do that are out there on that field. Some of them are the ones making these mistakes. That doesn't make any sense to me. So, so takeaway number one is uh, I, I, can't, I can't believe this happened. Takeaway <laughs> number two is um, we need to act like we've been there and we need to find that in the offseason. Good teams finish games. And this was the worst meltdown I've ever seen, period. Not just as a Carolina fan, but just, I mean, I can't think of another situation. Well, probably because it literally doesn't exist this season except for this one game. This would be um, on ESPN Classic. Yeah, I've ne- I mean, I've never, I've never seen something like this before. So, yeah, so it, let's go ahead and get, in a, and get into the pod, but that's literally everything I got to say for the night. <laughs> yeah, and it goes back to the point where we've mentioned on this podcast that this team seemingly finds ways to lose games in new ways every, every time out, but I don't think anybody... Snatching, s- snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. But I don't think anybody could have saw... Um, after Grayson Atkins makes that kick and Carolina has a 99.9% chance to win this game, it, it just defies everything that you thought you knew about football, where if Carolina gets a first down before Grayson Atkins field goal, the game's over. They've struggled in short yarded situations all season long. They don't get it. Okay. You can move on to the, the next play, the defense back out on the field up nine. You don't let them score in two plays the game is probably over. If, if you make NC state use a minute worth of clock and all of a sudden in, in the back of their head, they're thinking they're, they're, they're the ones that start pressing instead of Carolina, mm-hmm. the ones that are start pressing. Once you give a team like NC state, that confidence that they're still in this game, if they do recover the onside kick. And then of course the onside kick, I think Mac Brown said the percentage chances of recovering an onside kick are 22%. But once NC state got that kick, I, I think, I. Uh, a lot well, of people when, were, were uh, in when, the when that game was over. When nobody's crashing into the ball, when your point guy is hurtling over the kicker who's barreling towards the ball at the 10 yard line, like you got to take the kicker out, like under no circumstance. Like, of course, he's the guy who's coming to get the ball. Like, we, we drill this. EJ talked about it. Like, we drill this. That is, not, that is not something these kids haven't seen before. Why there was such a breakdown. And that, I mean, that's a mental breakdown. Why there was such a mental breakdown and not a bum rush to that football, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. Um, that's drilled. That specific onside kick scenario is drilled, if not weekly, bi-weekly through the season. Those guys are coached to attack. Like, like Mike said, those guys and if they're not, be and looking if, at the ball. And if they're not, there's a bigger problem. Yeah. yeah. Jeremiah Gimmel said that the team has run through those exact situations and those exact onside kick scenarios. So I don't, I don't think anybody was surprised by it. I think it was just a lack of execution and you guys know playing football the the goal of special teams is just don't lose this game for us and when you get two when you get two uh punts blocked and you don't recover the onside kick it 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 honestly felt like it was a a miracle that Carolina was even in this game after those first two blocked punts and it goes back to you have to give a lot of credit to this defense for keeping Carolina in this game. And you have to give credit to somebody like Sam Howell for being a gamer and just an absolute warrior warrior at quarterback. But, you know, the, the, I always think about the stats that you guys throw out with, uh, with block punts. What, what's yep. the exact stack? It's like 80%, 80% chance you block a kick or you make a play in the kicking game. You have an eight, your, your chances of winning just went up to 80%. doesn't yeah. matter what else happens in that football game. Two kicks blocked, that game should have been over. That's something else I've never seen before, by the way. Garrett Walston picks up that 
I've never seen my team get a punt blocked and then we convert the first down on the exact same play without the help of a penalty. I have never seen that before. So like this game was full of stuff I've never seen. I've never seen a ref call a defensive lineman for roughing the passer on a textbook takedown where the defensive lineman hits and you see, you see Vohasic roll off of his body so that he doesn't draw the flag. Oh man. And the ref throws that flag in that scenario. I've never seen that happen before either. And I want to go ahead and say that on the air. Now that hit by Rave, that was, I don't complain about refs a lot. That was one of the worst football calls I've ever seen. Given the circumstances that had happened in the second quarter, whatever, fine. But in that situation, you abs- you cannot make that. You can't make that call because it's number. It's not a reviewable call. That's the biggest problem. It was very Ron Cherry of him. It was very Ron Cherry yeah. of him. And it seems like more and more referees are putting the games in their hands late, especially especially really late and kind of deciding games with with calls like that, where it's it's just a lot for a team to overcome. But I'm kind of on your side, Mike, where I don't talk about the refs that much because if if you're expecting them to make the right calls you're you're going to be waiting a really long time uh, i always think back to the quote i uh, forget who said it but they were like you know 99% of referees are good i just happen to get the the 1% every time and uh it's it's more like Damn, that 1%. every time <laughs> it's more like that every time where it's like if if you're expecting these refs to to make a good call you're you're going to be waiting for quite some time, but the the end of that game it was a shame because Carolina did play so well outside of the first quarter. UNC drastically outplayed NC State before the collapse at the end. So I do want to make sure we do spend time talking about the positive. And you mentioned Carolina in the run game, Mike, where mm-hmm. Carolina severely outrushes NC State, and a lot of that behind British Brooks, who goes for a career high 124 rushing yards. Makes you kind of wonder where where he's been all season uh, with his physicality and how Carolina struggles in the the uh, the short yarded situations where he he's the closest thing to what Javante Williams brought last year to where it seems like he's guaranteed to at least make the first person miss with just shrugging off would be tacklers. What did you think of Brooks's performance and where did you see Carolina have the most success in the run game? Well, I mean, the stat line tells you all you, need to know, all you need to know about Brooks's performance, but I think, you know, from a numbers standpoint, but you bring up a great point about the physicality that he runs with. This is something that British Brooks has been doing now for two years, and I've been talking about I've said it before. Like, I don't understand why that kid's not on the field. I thought he would be one of our – if we ran a two-running back system this year with Ty Chandler, I thought he'd be the second back. I don't, know, I don't know what happened. I don't know if it's because he's a former walk-on and there's a stigma around that. By the way, I didn't know he was a former walk-on. I found that out at the broadcast last night, okay? Because he doesn't play like a – I mean, he doesn't play like a kid who didn't have an opportunity for a scholarship coming in. You know what I mean? But you can see why he earned one because he just – I mean, he kills himself. Like, the kid plays really hard. He's a special teams captain. He's valuable to the team, but I've always thought he was a particularly valuable piece to the run game, and we never utilized him. Um. I know that he participated in senior day and I, I fully suspect that he'll probably transfer somewhere and move on. And I hope he's successful. If he does play another year of football, I hope he's successful wherever he goes. Um, but what you saw out of him against state, I think is what we probably would have seen at least some flavor of it 
no matter when we put them on the field, no matter what game we put them on the field. Now I'm not out there at practice every week. I'm not in the film room with these coaches. I'm not in the meeting rooms. I'm not in the coaches meeting. So I don't know why he was shunned from the lineup, but I think he, I think he came out. He had a, he had a Willie Parker kind of day, you know, Willie Parker had a couple coming out parties and everyone said, Oh, well, Willie Parker. And the next thing you know, he's winning a super bowl with the Steelers. You know, he had, I kept seeing the way he was playing. I kept thinking, Willie Parker, Willie Parker, Willie Parker. Um, you know, because Willie was a good player here at Carolina, but, you know, he wasn't he wasn't the feature back. He certainly wasn't the star player. He was a speed guy. He made, you know, he got his shot. He broke out, you know, and sometimes all it takes is one opportunity like that, you know, one big game like that. Maybe this is that for British Brooks. And I hope that it is because, I mean, he <clears throat> he ran with he ran with purpose against state. Taylor brings up a very good point about the physicality. Um, he was that's something we've been missing in the running game. Ty Chandler runs very hard, but just that bowling ball, like muscle hamster kind of running back. We just can lower his shoulder and run through guys, drag guys for three or four yards when we need a yard or two on short yardage, which we struggled in, you know, I'd say yesterday or, you know, the game against state was kind of a wash a little bit in the, in the short yardage. I've been complaining about that a lot all year long, how we, you know, when we need one yard, we can't seem to get it. We had, I can think of one play distinctly. We were third and one. We absolutely had to have it. We didn't get a yard. But there were other short yardage situations where we handed the ball to British Brooks, and that kid got a yard. And, it was, and he was met at the line of scrimmage. And he'd barrel forward for two, three, four, nine yards, okay, on short yardage stuff. Like, we need that. That's an attitude thing that our offense and that our running game had been missing all season long. Um, I hope he's with us in the bowl game. And, you know, I, I, hope, I hope he shows that again in the bowl game and we get some more of that in the bowl. Uh, because that kid deserves one more chance to shine. And I think he will if he's given that opportunity. Because that's two games in a row he's been very productive. Um, one against a, a high-caliber top 25, top 25 opponent. And make no mistake about it, NC State is a top 25 football team. I will, say, I will put that on the record here on the air. NC State is a, top, 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 a legitimate top 25 football team. And, um, and our running game looked very good against that team. They were depleted a little bit on defense, but they're st- they, the guys that were out there still played very well. That was a tough football team. So for us to, 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 to snap off, I mean, how many yards was it, Taylor? What was the, what was the final stat line? Uh, rushing or just um, – Rushing. Rushing was uh, 297. What are the yards after contact? Do we have that? I, I don't have those, but it was 297 for Carolina and 113 for NC State. Yeah, I mean, 297, we got to assume a third of those are yards after contact. I mean, let's just assume 33%. I mean, that's that's almost 100 yards yeah. of yards after contact, most likely, if not more, you know, thanks to muscle hamster British Brooks. Um, so uh, all of that to say what he brought in this game and what he did for this team to put them in a position to win, to be ahead in this game, um, he was not the problem. Um, and I, I thought he brought an attitude – um, and he brought a tenacity to that offense that we've been lacking. And, uh, and I hope it, I hope it's infectious, um, you know, going to this bowl game. Cause I mean, we got, we got to win this bowl game now. I mean, that's just where we are. I don't care who's playing quarterback. I don't care who's out on the field. They got to win this bowl game. They, they, they got to finish the year with more wins than losses, or it's going to be a real, real long, dark off season. EJ, a, a positive defensively was the pass rush generated six total sacks, everything that Jay Bateman was, uh, scheming up for the Carolina defense seemed to be getting home. What did, what did you see that Carolina did that allowed them to have so much success getting to Devin Leary for, for six sacks, a, 
a season high this year and I think the most since 2020 against Syracuse? Um, the same thing that they've been doing all year, but I mean, they really kind of refined it and it looked, honestly, it was textbook. I, I really think, um, and what I'm talking about is pass rush games. We had perfectly executed pass rush. When, when your nose guards getting sacks, um, and getting hits on the quarterback, that's when, you know, you're running your, you're, you're running your, your games really well. And, um, and what Ray was coming, getting those, uh, that pressure on was what we call a, a end, a, a ET game or end game, um, where the end is a penetrator um, and, and what the nose tackle is going to do is just set the guard up. He's going to do um, just do what we call a must rush. He's going to stay in there, keep the center busy, keep the center and the guard busy. The defensive end is going to try to knock, going to knock him off and the center is going to wrap around. I mean, the nose is going to wrap around and what we're hoping is that the tackle is going to stay on the, um, the defensive end. We had the benefit of last night of Des Edmonds, uh, Kimon Rucker, and uh, Timon Fox all having great games. So those tackles mm-hmm. were paying uh, attention to them. I mean, I mean, I mean, we even had a, a sack on the the, the almighty. Um, I, I forget what the kid's name is because he doesn't oh, play left the Carolina. So yeah, the but, left I mean, tackle. He, yeah, I never yeah, heard, but, I never heard of before. Yeah. Yeah, but he, I mean, he gave up a sack. So I mean, we're, we're honestly, we're obviously doing something right. And honestly, what, that, that, that's what kind of gets me frustrated with this defense because when, when you have to have discipline to be able to execute games, and Michael tell you that's something that we've been harping on our offensive line, not being being rather up and down, and not really being consistent with handling the games because that takes discipline. It takes eye discipline. It takes knowing your responsibility. It takes an understanding of what the defensive line is really trying to do. If if, if the defensive end disappears in front of your face. Somebody has to replace that guy because, I mean, that, that's the outside contained. And, I mean, with the way, I mean, any quarterback seems like um, they can get rushing yards on us, that's the last thing we want to do. So so to be able to go in and make those games look like a normal pass rush and to be able to execute the way we did, I mean, I, mean, I think it's amazing. And I think none of that really happens if we're not just getting pressure up front. I mean – I mean, I, I mean, is there any way we can find another year el- eligibility for Taman Fox? I mean, he, he's really come along. It seems like ever since he kind of surpassed Lawrence Taylor, he's really been heating up. And yes, some of his things are coverage sacks, but yeah, I mean, when, when you have that's how it's supposed to work. When you have coverage on the back end, that's a, shine, a sign of how relentless the guy is. He's not giving up. He's winning on his second and third pass rush moves. And the fact that he has those pass rush moves, I mean, is good. Then you have guys like, I mean, Kevin Hester showing up. Miles Murphy, who I think honestly is going to be. Animal. He has to be preseason first team all ICC. The, the, the kid is an absolute animal. I mean, he, he's, he's come along so much this year from really not really showing up Virginia Tech game for I me mean, for a sophomore. Now, not, not saying that he didn't play, that he played badly. He didn't play badly. He just didn't play to what we've seen now. And, and I think, I hope the people listening on the podcast understand what I was saying when I think that he underperformed that game, because I mean, you look what it, you look what he's doing. You look what Vohasic's doing. I mean, you look what, what Kevin Hester's doing, Javari Ritzy. I think we have a really, I mean, even though um, Ray's not going to be there and I mean, Laura, I hate that I'm not going to be able to see him play in Carolina Blue next year. But, I mean, we have some real young, strong um, silverbacks in the middle of our defense that are coming back, and I think they really played well last night. They, they started to get some momentum in the game, but, but thankfully our offense picked it up and forced them to have to pass, and those games were really working. So, I mean, I think that's really the big thing. And, 
I really wish we would have saw more of that all year, but the fact was that we weren't stopping the run until we weren't in a position where we can work these pass rush games. I mean, yeah, I mean, I still stand by my statement that we don't have a lot of guys that can go out there and win one-on-one, but when you have guys who are athletic enough and who are disciplined enough to work these pass rush games, I mean, they're both affected in the pass and the run. I mean, Mike will tell you, if you have a call draw and the defense is running a perfectly executed oh, it's game. Oh, nightmare. Nightmare. Yeah, that's the, 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 the quickest that's, way to blow up a draw is to run a game. Exactly. Yep. That's a three to five yard loss on an average play. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're putting all of if you're talking about the NFL or you're talking about a team that has a couple of all Americans up front, you're talking about potential fumbles. Think about the Jadavion uh, Clowney play in the bowl game where he caused the fumble and then picked it up. Those are the type of things that can happen when you per- won't run a perfectly executed uh, game against the draw. So, I mean, and EJ, can I make one point? So, you, you know, one guy, one guy that we need to talk about, Des Evans, his, his sack total for the year is not where you'd expect it to be mm. based on who he was coming out of high school and where he should be developed at this point. But the thing, the thing that I want to say about Des is get, forget all that stuff. What's not shown up in the stat sheet is how effective he was and how much of a difference he made last night specifically mm-hmm. and has all season long, but I want to talk about la- or I want to talk about the state game specifically. When you're talking about perfectly executed twist games, I saw Des Evans blowing up every single guard mm-hmm. on every ET. That's the E first tackle second. Every ET I saw where Des Evans was the first guy when he was knifing underneath, mm-hmm. he blew up every single guard that he was supposed to. And he pried open that guard and that tackle so that that looping three technique or that looping nose could come around and make a play. Usually Vohasic. It was usually him and mm-hmm. Ray. And he made Ray a lot of money last night. Yep. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. So Des Evans deserves a lot of credit for what he did. He did a lot of things that won't show up in the stat sheet. They won't get his name called, but he was a monster in, in twist games. He wasn't the one always getting the sack. He wasn't the one always getting the pressure, but when he was the first guy going in those ETs, when he was the first guy coming underneath, he did his job and he did it textbook. I mean, it was clinic tape. So, you know, hats off to Des Evans. He deserves a little credit. And I hope everybody gives it to him. I'm sure he'll get pats on the back in film, even though it'll be a sad film day. Oh, yeah. And I, I think it's a lot of teaching tape um, from this game um, that there really was. I mean, what the way we played the run at times, our coverage at times. I mean, we, we I, I, at sometimes I did like the way the refs call that game. They let our guys play physical, let them be who they are, and let, let them really play through their strengths. And like you mentioned, Mike, you brought up a good point that they're, they're getting coaching from one of the best corners, not only in ACC history, but one of the best corners ever playing in the NFL. So he's teaching them a physical, aggressive, style of um of 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 coverage and you see that when the refs are you have that understanding we didn't see as many pass interference calls and they kind of let the guys play so um i i do think there are a lot of good things that our defense did but uh really i do think um that the way they ran those games and got pressure on um on leary was was one of the top things that i saw last night yeah i think the most unfortunate thing from carolina's perspective losing the game losing the game the way they did is that a lot of players were kind of robbed of having their moment for, for a Carolina team that desperately needed to win. EJ, you mentioned Tamon Fox, he gets two and a half sacks, the, the quietest 29 total sacks in a career where he's now a sack and a half behind somebody like Julius Peppers, where I know, I know Pep did it. I think in three years and Tamon Fox has done it in six years, but you know, he, he was kind of robbed of that moment. A guy like Grayson Atkins was robbed of his moment. Um, British Brooks was robbed of his moment. Sam Howell, for being the, the gamer that he is, was kind of robbed of his moment. But, Mike, early on, the play calling from the Carolina staff, I thought it 
kind of made it evident that they didn't have that much faith in in the offensive line's ability to protect with a lot of tunnel screens, a lot of quick, uh, a lot of quick passes, a lot of things trying to get to the outside. But as the game kind of went on, they found more success in protecting Sam Howell and creating running lanes. What what do you think kind of changed there? Um, I think being able to run the ball is what made their lives a lot easier. What I was disappointed in seeing was our tackles. A lot of our pressure came from the tackle spot. And as our tackles getting beat on inside moves, we need basic stuff. Um, or what, what was the most disappointing was Josh Azudu gave up a sack fumble and Josh recovered the fumble. Everybody remembers this. Um, he got beat around the edge. And the reason he got beat around the edge is because somebody taught him to flash his outside hand. And I don't know who taught him that um, or where he picked up that, picked that up from, but I hope he kind of lets that go. And I see our tackles do that a lot. What I'm talking about is they'll get into their set. If you're the left tackle, your outside hand, your left hand, they flash their outside hand. It's just sort of a fake punch. It's supposed to get that defensive lineman to show you his move, to tip his move so that you can then get your inside hand on him, your trail hand, which is your power hand. We've talked about that on the podcast before. It's so you can get your trail hand on that guy and you can basically work him with just your feet and that inside hand. And it's, it's real easy. Now you're just playing essentially basketball defense. What happens the problem with flashing the outside hand though, and the reason why a lot of guys in college get in trouble with this is it necessarily gives up your outside shoulder. So if you flash that outside hand and that guy doesn't bite on it, which you should always be flashing your inside hand, that whole different issue, but you, always, you should always be flashing that inside hand so that you can then recover with your outside. So you don't give up your outside shoulder. But if you're going to flash that outside hand, you better be ready to pull it back and keep your feet moving. Josh got beat because he flashed that outside hand. His feet stopped. The defensive end didn't bite. And all he did was he grabbed the back, that backside shoulder, hit him with a real simple club rip around the edge. Josh had to bail. He shortened that edge, sack fumble from a guy in Josh Azudu who shouldn't be doing stuff like he sh- that. That is not something I expect to see from him. And good players get beat. You know, good players will beat good players every single game. Josh isn't perfect, but, I, you know, I'm, I, was, I was disappointed to see that attempt. Not, it was a very veteran move he tried. It didn't work. Um, he didn't make a lot of mistakes in that game. That's just the one that sticks out in my head because it was a sack fumble. Um, but I also saw Jordan Tucker got beat doing the same thing. He flashes his outside hand, gets beat on an inside move, gives up a huge pressure. Um, I think it may have, it may have been a sack. If it wasn't a sack, it was a, it, it was, it was, it was a, the type of pressure that just completely blew up the play. I'd have to go back and watch the tape. Um, but you know, that's what was happening with us. And it's been happening with us a lot this year is we've been getting a lot of pressure from our tackle spots and it's very simple stuff that can get fixed. We also had an issue a couple times uh, early in the game with twists. Again, we were getting, we were getting leveled off. Our tackle was getting off level with the guard, getting beat inside that defensive end. Like I was just talking about with Des Evans state's defensive ends were blowing up our guards, you know, creating opening up wedges um, for that pass rush to get through. And Sam had people in his face when he didn't need to. I think what really helped that offensive line was the fact that we snapped off 300 rushing yards. Cause when you got to respect the run, I mean, this is, everybody seems to know this is almost cliche at this point, but the run will set up the pass. If you got to honor the run, now you got to stack the box. Okay. But even if you're not stacking the box, your linebackers are going to be a, a, you know, a step slower because they're hesitant. They got their eyes in the backfield. They're waiting to see if you're going to hand that ball off, particularly with some of the um, some of the backfield action that we have some of the ball action we have um, between Sam and the running backs on those timing plays and those timing routes um, that creates a lot of disruption on the defensive side of the ball. And it creates a lot of slow playing that happens on the defensive side of the ball, which opens up deep shots, which is what we saw in the second half. We started to make, we started to make good on 
on offense. And all of that was because the running game was opening up. And I, you know, I, I called out Jordan Tucker and I called out Josh Azudu. I want to also say both of those guys in the run game did some really, really, really good things on double teams. Jordan Tucker, I wish his, his footwork was a little bit better, but he's a huge body. You know, he's getting on guys, you know, they're running a double team between the three, you know, to, from that three technique to the middle linebacker. I saw Jordan Tucker spraying a couple of runs by blowing up that three technique, getting movement, basically hitting him so hard that the guard was able to watch that guy across the other side of the line of scrimmage. And then Jordan was able to get up on the linebacker and just get enough of him. You don't have to blow it. You don't have to blow the second level up. Jordan got enough of a piece of the second level to where British Brooks, Ty Chandler snapped one off, um, you know, the same scenario. Uh, with our tackles getting up and our, inst- and, our, and our double teams getting up on the whole uh, in this, mostly through the second half, our double teams getting up to the second level assignments, taking care of the first level, getting movement, creating space, getting up on the second level, moving those linebackers out of the way just enough, or just creating enough disruption on the second level to where we had running lanes. And that's really what opened up everything for us offensively was how good our offensive line did in double teams and getting up on the second level, which opened up the run. It was a lot of inside zone stuff. You asked earlier, like, what did they do? Well, it was the inside zone stuff. It was the double teams on inside zone that really blew open the offense. And that allowed Sam to then drop back. He had some time because they had to respect the run. So the pass rush was a little slower, a little more hesitant. Offensive line was able to make good on that and, you know, take advantage of that. And, and we saw some good things in the passing game as a result. The other thing that I really liked from a play calling standpoint, I have complained about this all year and I complained about it in the game last night when I saw it, I talked about that third and one that we didn't convert. We didn't convert that play as far as I'm concerned, because we're in the shotgun and we're handing the ball off five yards deep and we got to run six yards to, to net positive one yard to get a first down. You, you shouldn't need to run six or seven yards to get one yard. If you're in short yardage, get under center. Even if you're going to hand that ball off, it's not a sneak or a dive. If you're going to hand that ball off, you're handing it off three yards deep, not five or six yards deep like you are on the shotgun, right? Running three to four yards to get one yard is a whole lot different than running six to seven yards to net one yard. That's a whole different from a timing standpoint, um, from a defense's ability to recover standpoint, and from the offensive line's ability, or I guess their obligation to hold their blocks longer. It's an entirely different story. We corrected that in the second half, and we went under center a lot in the second half in situations where we needed to, down on the goal line, in the red zone, and in short yardage. We had a lot of success on it. I hope that's something we start to see more and more in this offense. We get out of the shotgun in short yardage. We don't need to get out of the shotgun every time in short yardage, but we did a really good job of getting in under center and showing multiple looks and doing a lot of different things out of under center. We didn't just run the ball. We didn't just run one route throwing the ball. We weren't predictable when we went under center. And we seemed, it seemed organic. It seemed very natural for Sam, for Q Johnson, and for that offense to run the offense that way. I would like to see that put in and us stick with that much more consistently in the bowl and next season moving forward. I'd like to see that become a staple of the offense because it was effective when it needed to be. And it, I, I, I can't help but wonder if it would have been effective all year long and might have cleaned up a lot of the short yardage issues we were having. But the offensive line deserves a lot of credit in the run game. It deserves a lot of credit in the pass game in the second half which they can, you know, they need to pat British Brooks and, you know, their running backs on the back too, because that made the pass game a lot easier for them. But they pass protected a lot better in the second half. They, they, they blocked in the run game. They held their blocks. They hit their assignments. There weren't a lot of mental errors in the run game. They did a great job. Um, and then the under center stuff was a nice wrinkle, which is crazy for me to say. It was a nice wrinkle to go under center. And we were effective when we needed it to be. So the, all of that, I think, is what contributed to us having a lot of success in the second half and put us in a position to win that football game.
Yeah, one area that also deserves, um, I guess, praise and credit for for the staff kind of sticking with it. It's it's somebody like Grayson Atkins who they've shown confidence in him all year, even at times where it you wouldn't have uh, you wouldn't have been wrong to kind of question how much faith they were showing in him. Uh, thinking back to that Georgia Tech game going into last night, he was one in one of four of field goals, fifty plus yards. Analytically, you you had uh, I guess three options. You could kick the field goal, you could attempt the fifty yard field goal, you could go for a fourth and three to kind of end the game if you get a first down, or you could try to just punt the ball back to him. Carolina chose to kick the field goal. They showed confidence in Atkins. He drills it, puts them up nine. EJ, so I guess just for you, just how cool of a moment was it to see Grayson Atkins step up and drill a 50-yard field goal in a hostile environment when he was one of four from 50 yards leading up to that, and everybody kind of knows how unpredictable college kickers are? Reminds me of Florida State, man. Reminds me of the Florida State game down there, but I'm I'm, kind of glad that you you brought up special teams. Uh, First of all, that was an absolute, absolute awesome kick, and I honestly think more than anybody, I really think that a moment was stolen from him because, as you mentioned, he's kind of had his struggles uh, from over 50 yards, as most kickers in college football would, but for him to, to kind of have those struggles recently, you want to talk about the Georgia Tech game and, and to be in a rivalry game and to nail that 50-yarder. I mean, I mean, he, I mean, he probably had a yard and a half clearance, but, I mean, that's what makes it better. You don't want to see him hit that thing cleanly in a rivalry game. You want him to make it, but still keep me on the edge of my seat. So that was absolutely awesome. But I really think that we, we had two plays that were – we kind of hit the whole spectrum on special teams last night. We had two plays that were like some of the absolute worst things that could happen for us on special teams and then we also had two plays with the absolute best uh the two things that, that could have been i don't think could have gone any better one the 50 yard field goal we were just talking about and two somehow how we got that, that with um with watson being there mr johnny on the spot getting the ball and converting that first down i mean that was absolutely i mean you, you i mean there's so many things happened last night that I've never seen in football that, that I mean, last night was really just the live Thursday practice. And, and, and unfortunately we came out on the wrong end of it, but the two bad things, of course, is the block punt for a touchdown. Uh, and then the onside kick, I mean, in all four of those situations, those are things you practice. Those are things you talk about. I mean, that's when you, when you talk about situation awareness, you talk about playing championship football, those all those things are, are are examples of championship football. It's good situational football. It's great to 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 have a to have a great passing offense, great rushing offense, great um great great um yards per carry, and all these different things. But how are you in situational football? You could be giving up three yards per carry, but that that could be ten rushes for what. 10 rushes for 20 yards and then have one rush for 60 yards at the end of the game, that's a game winner. But yeah, on paper, you look good, but situationally, I mean, you still suck. You lost the game. So um, I, I think that um, we just, there's some definitely some things that we need to improve on situationally. Um, learn how to, learning how to kind of keep it going for the whole game, not celebrating too early. But um, um, you, you, I, I don't I, I'm kind of flabbergasted about this. I don't, really don't know what to say next, because, I mean, I mean, you try to put your eye on one thing that lost us the game and 
you really can only look at that last two and a half minutes of that game where everything completely fall apart. And that's why I kind of, I can sympathize with Mike when he says that he's never seen a meltdown like this, because I mean, up until that, we played the best game, I think under the Matt Byrne regime, the mm-hmm. most complete game. Yeah. We didn't score some of those drives, but we didn't come up empty. We, we, we ate up clock. We, we ended up with some points. And honestly, we, we were up nine points with, um, with, with, with two and a half minutes to go. Um, was it like 216, 213, I think, yeah, is what the actual yeah, time yeah, was? Yeah, So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean one stop, one, one stop, one stop or even let them score and just yeah. recover the onside kick. Like, it, you know, there's, again, that's why we talk about such an abnormal scenario because, I mean, mm-hmm. even if you just let them score, mm-hmm. you assume you're going to recover the onside kick or it's going to go out of bounds. Mm-hmm. If they kick it to the sideline, it's probably going out of bounds. If they kick in the middle of the field, I, I mean, we should be able to recover that. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's – it's, it's impossibly frustrating under those circumstances, especially with an offense that's been moving the ball like that and eating up mm-hmm. clock and a defense yeah. that have been stopping people all night long. It's like, fine, you can have your weak moment here, let them score a touchdown, whatever. It doesn't matter because they're still going to lose this game, and they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, moving on from this game and kind of looking at the, the program and the team big picture-wise, Mike, where would you say you would like to see this team grow the most from now until – kickoff in in 2022 we trying to say this as diplomatically as possible i have concerns about player development there were a lot of the same concerns that i had under fedora's staff and i i thought the world of larry fedora um I, 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 I had many opportunities to speak with Larry and get to know him and, and speak and, 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 and visit with him. And he was good to me and EJ. I can say that for sure. He was good to EJ and I. Um, but I, you know, I, and I think he would tell you that there was, there was a lot left on the table from a development standpoint. I would like to see some of the players we have take a leap in the off season. I don't know what needs to happen for them to take that leap. But there are a few players at key positions. I think on defense side, like a Des Evans, he's, he's a guy I'd like to see take a huge leap. I mean, he's got a frame and a build. I mean, he should be had, I If he has a George Selvey kind of year next year, folks, remember George Selvey from USF back when USF was, you know, Miami light, when they got all the guys that couldn't get into or were getting kicked out of Miami and they, and they, you know, they, they've ran up to number two in the country and George Selvey was an all American and Pierre Paul was on the other side. Like that team was loaded. Um, Folks remember that season that George Selby had. He had, I mean, that was an incredible, I think it was 2007. That was the 07 year. Mm-hmm. He had a great year that year. Des Evans is built like him. He's got a lot of the same tools in his toolbox as him. If he can have a year like him next year, or even, you know, a, a, you know, a, a Selby, you know, 1B type of season next year, you know, maybe a step below. I mean, but that would be a huge improvement for a guy like that. That would be a guy meeting his potential. Um, I'd love to see that out of him next year, especially mostly because I think every time I watch Des, I think he plays his butt off. He works really hard. That's oh, a kid yeah. who that's a kid who deserves to break out. And I hope he does. Um, you know, on the on the offensive line, you know, we, we've got some we got some young guys coming up. Um, we're, you know, we're going to have some folks at key positions that I think you know, we're going to have some attrition across that offensive line. We're most likely going to have a new quarterback. So, you know, in that core group on offense that relationship between the quarterback and the offensive line, I would like to see that group come in as cohesive as humanly possible week one next year, whatever they've got to do to make that happen in the off season, do it. If it means you guys got to go out 
you know, the five guys that are going to be the, you know, the starters or the six or seven guys in rotation. And you guys got to go out and get drunk together every weekend, go do it. Like whatever you got to do, just come in, come in clean next year, be able to pass off twists. I mean, that should be an absolute focus, be able to pass off twists. And like EJ was talking about earlier, understand what the situation's calling for, understand what the defense, what defensive lines are trying to do against you and be able to adjust on the fly in real time, adjust your technique, Okay. Adjust your pass sets, adjust your punches, adjust, adjust the way you're playing, adjust the plan you had for that game, be able to do that on the fly and do it naturally and organically without skipping a beat. I don't think we have that. We don't have that skill hammered down yet. The next offensive line group that we're going to roll out, if they can hammer that down, I think they will be really successful next year. So, you know, for me, it's a, it's a development thing. Some of these guys that are very highly touted, very highly ranked coming out of high school, you know, two, three years into their careers here. We saw this under Fedora. I, I don't know if we're seeing it yet. We'll know by next season if we're seeing it. Um, you know, a lot of those guys were coming in. They weren't a whole lot better as juniors or seniors as they were when they were high school seniors. And I hope that's not the case here. I, again, the sample size, we don't have it yet. We don't have the data. We'll know at the end of this season if there's, a, if there's really a develop, you know, this coming season, if there's a development issue. And if there is, it's on Mac Brown to fix it. Plain and simple, because this is a team that should have double digit wins mm-hmm. um, as the norm. You know, those Texas teams that Mac had, the, his ability to recruit. Now, granted, Texas is a different animal. They got a ton of money. It's why we lost Mac in the first place. It's the richest program of college football, but they were playing in a weak Big 12. Okay. They had one team they had to look out for in Oklahoma. Maybe Texas Tech comes up. You know, they have one random team comes up, but for the most part, it's them and Oklahoma. And then some other random team every single year that comes out of nowhere that's kind of nipping at their heels. Okay. Texas ran the Big 12 there for a few years. Um, Carolina and the ACC, it's a similar animal. You know, the, the only real juggernaut we've got right now is Clemson. I think they're going to bounce back. I think Clemson's going to be fine. You got Clemson. Florida State has fallen off because they just haven't figured out what to do after Jimbo. And I don't know that they're, I don't think they've got that figured out yet. Miami is coming along. They're always dangerous. I think they're that team that nips at you. And then you got someone out of the Atlantic, an NC State or a Wake Forest or somebody. But there's no reason why it shouldn't be Carolina and Clemson. Carolina, Clemson, Carolina, Clemson, every single year for the next five, six, seven years. There's no reason it shouldn't be. That, that shouldn't be how this ACC plays out. Um, hopefully Virginia Tech figures out their problems and they come back. But in the meantime, we're in a down conference. The only way we're going to be able to take that next step, the only way we're going to have double-digit wins is a norm for the next however for the next foreseeable couple of years is if players in the offseason take that developmental leap and if they're put in positions to take that developmental leap if that doesn't happen we're not looking at double digit wins as the norm we're looking at six and six seven and six seven and five as the norm um you know in middling bowl games where our best players aren't playing because they don't want to get hurt for the draft we're not looking at the playoff we're not looking at the ACC championship we're not looking at those you know, postseason big time games. So that's that's what I'd like to see. Take the developmental leap for a few of these guys because we need it. Yeah, I think the cohesion point you you mentioned about the offensive line, uh, kind of figuring out whatever whatever it kind of takes is is a good point that you made. And uh, kind of like a crossover for a second when I had a podcast with Justin Jackson about this basketball team and how it feels like it's just five people going out there trying to get their own when I asked him, like, how were his teams successful? Because they were all, you know, high level players too. 
he kind of mentioned like we just loved playing with each other out there on the court like we were hanging out together off the court we we enjoyed seeing each other's success and thinking back to the 2015 team compare in comparison to like the 2014 team I think that was a big difference for our Carolina team where you know we we liked being out there with each other there weren't any personalities that were bigger than the team and it was a team where you know there wasn't anything somebody wouldn't do for the person next to him because you knew the the person next to you would do the same exact thing for you and I'm not saying that that's a problem for this Carolina team without actually being in the locker room or kind of knowing who the leaders are and the culture of the team but I think that is something to think about how much a team kind of enjoys playing with each other and and that chemistry where that you could see the chemistry out there on the field, but EJ getting to you, where would you like to see this team grow the most from now until kickoff in 2022? And, and as Mike was talking, I, I think my, mine are kind of similar one. Um, I, I think they both kind of hit on um, developmental issues, um, but, but I think different aspect. I think Mike's more so speaking to develop, developing each player's individual talent. But I think for me, it's more of a team development First issue, and, and I wish this was something that I didn't have to talk about, is overall discipline. It's discipline to the play call. It's discipline to the overall principles of football. Uh, when you're talking about taking the right steps, if you're blocking, um, if you're a wide receiver, you know you're not getting the ball, um, making sure you're making the right fake so they can automatically tell it's a run. Um, it, it's making tackles. It's, it's taking the right angle on tackles. It's 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 keeping your eyes on your luggage. It's making sure you're you're following the right plays. It's doing the right things off the field. It's watching film. It's 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 going hard in practice. It's practicing the right way. It's it's doing all the right things. So I think discipline um is something that our team really lacks. And not saying that we have a bunch of knuckleheads on these team because I genuinely believe that we have a bunch of good guys. I don't think that Mac recruits are knuckleheads. I don't think that guys like that generally come to Carolina. That's not what I'm talking about when I mean discipline. These guys are disciplined enough to go to class to do the right things, to stay out of trouble, to show up on time for things. I mean, if not, they wouldn't be on the field and they definitely wouldn't be in Mac Brown's program. So I'm talking about the things that, cha- the cha- again, I'm talking about championship football. Mike, the thing that he was talking about is championship football. Taylor, what you've been hitting on tonight is the things that are going to take us to get into play championship football. And I think that level of discipline is going to be out there. I mean, there's a difference if we go out there and we're tackling a guy like Derrick Henry and we're trying to tackle this guy and we're falling off of him or there's a guy like Chris Johnson Johnson, who I've played on the defense where we were doing all the right things. This guy's just beating angles. Those aren't the things that I'm talking about. But once again, we have the type of talent where those things won't happen anymore if we're doing all the right things. I think the second thing is situational football on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing, and since Mike's brought this up, this is the thing I've really been paying attention to. We really do struggle on third and under four yards. I mean, we really don't have any plays come up. We're going into the goal line trying to score, and we're in third and short. We're running a freaking shovel pass. Yeah, I've never, ever, ever seen that in our offense. And you can tell that they were very uncomfortable running that. I mean, we're – there are just things happening that – I just don't know what's happening. And, and I honestly think that th- this is squarely on the coaching staff. I mean, it, you have to put the players in the right situation to succeed. Like Mike mentioned, we should have had guys like British Brooks out there all year if he's going to be a physical runner. We should have been running games and having guys like Dez Evans out there more every passing down because he's disciplined enough to run those games to be that penetrator to make sure that someone else wins, even though doing things that aren't going to show up in the stat sheet. 
Um, so we just need more of that. And we, our coaches need to understand the type of talent that we have and what situations to put them in. And our guys need to understand what, what, what the down and distance, what the game's going to look like. I mean, just like, I mean, like I said, we're, we're celebrating um, too many guys on the field and everything after a field goal. I mean, there's there, there's so much time left on the clock that this stuff really starts to affect you. So yeah, um, act like you act like you've been there before. Exactly. Exactly. And I know it seems like we're harping on these three things a lot, but from a game where I mean, for as again, I'll say it, I know it's probably 10 times, 57 and a half minutes. We play great football on both sides of the ball. And then we just had a complete total meltdown. So we're not sitting up here being negative on this team and saying they had a bad performance. Any disdain that you hear is simply from disappointment from fan alumni um, and former players of this university that we love so much to go out there and see a team put it together like we've been talking about all year and still kind of fall short. So um, I think those are both discipline and understanding the situational football is, is definitely what I think needs to be drilled into these guys. Um, we're we're going to have the talent once again. Um, as Mac has been has said, that a lot of our talent is in the young guys, and we've been seeing that from everyone we've talked about have been mostly young guys, and that's encouraging. But if we don't have discipline, if we don't understand situational football, if we're not getting individually more talent, and as you mentioned, if our specific uh, people have to play as units, the secondary, the offensive line, the defensive line, if all those guys aren't on the same accord, hanging with each other, getting to really know each other, then we're not going to be a successful program. Yeah, we may win a few games here and there, but that's not what we're in it for. We're here. We, I mean, UNC stands for the University of National Champions the last time I checked. And I mean, I know we're more than a women's soccer school because I mean, I mean, they're winning most well, of women's. Us. We're actually a women's field hockey school now. Yeah, we're, we're, we're now a women's field hockey school. So, so why, why not, as a football player, take, put that chip on your shoulder and say, Let's, let's bring a couple of championships here ourselves. So, I mean, I, I know I've kind of said a mouthful, but I just don't think that the, the, the things that both Mike and I have said that we want to see are things that with a with a coach of this experience, with the staff of this experience, and with, tail, with plant players of this caliber talent, we, we just didn't expect to, to see this. Yeah, situationally inside the red zone, I think that kind of goes back to the point where the the staff just doesn't have the faith in in this team to win on short yardage when – you are getting gimmicky with plays like the shovel pass or, or the screen pass where, you know, you, you don't have the confidence to just play smash mouth football and line it up and try to win at the, at the point of attack. And where I want to see this team grow the most kind of goes back to Mike's point And then EJ's point to a certain extent where you want to see continued development uh, in the trenches, because that's where at Carolina, you're, you're never really going to be worried about, Outside of two years from 2017, 2018, you're, you're not too worried about the quarterback. You're not too worried about the skill positions. You're not too worried about the athletes coming, coming to Carolina. It's more, can this team grow in the trenches and get to that national contending level that I think some people expected them to make this year when you do return five starters on the offensive line and you do have a lot of talent on the defensive line um, that struggled early on in the year. I think we kind of saw them playing to their potential as the year closed in games against Wake Forest and against Pittsburgh and NC State where the defense the defense started to look like a, a unit that you felt like had a lot of promise for the future. Um, but with that being said, that concludes the regular season for the Tar Heels, finishing at 6-6. Six and six. We will have bowl game coverage and bowl game podcasts, so I'll have to talk to Tommy about when our next podcast is. But guys, always appreciate the time. No problem, man. Yep. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. 
Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.